We're back. Yes, we are. The Defend and Confirm podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Russell. And we are continuing in our series on church planning movements, also known as... Multiplying movements. Also known as... Disciple making movements. Also known as... Uh, four fields. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to start this with a question. Okay. And uh, listeners, I want you to think through this. What is more important to the Christian life? The truth and the knowledge of the truth mm-hmm. or obedience? Mm, I'm going to say obedience. Wait, mm. I'm, I'm reformed. I'm going to say truth. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go to 1 John. Let's do it. So uh, maybe two places in 1 John? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one place in 1 John says, uh, well, there's a lot. <laughs> it says a lot here. But it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That's right. Right? So, man, obedience, that's pretty significant. Super important. Okay. However. However, 1 John 2 says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Hmm. So it seems like John in that first epistle is calling his children to walk in obedience in light of the truth that they already know. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it's it's almost like the Bible treats these things as inseparable. As if they Dis- shouldn't be pitted against one another. Right, distinct but inseparable. Mm. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because we are going to move on in our... We're, remember, we're in the critique stage here on our discussion of multiplying movements. We're going to critique something called obedience-based discipleship. Ah, the OBD. The old OBD. Yeah. You know me. <laughs> yes. So obedience-based <laughs> discipleship is exactly what it sounds like. It's okay. a view of discipleship that heavily emphasizes what we might call the do aspect of what the Bible teaches, the do part of the Christian life. It emphasizes it? Would you like to say that more strongly? Uh, it, it basically makes it more important than everything else. Okay, so according to obedience-based discipleship, obedience is it's so big, it fills the frame of our Christian walk so completely that there's no room left for things like knowledge of the truth. Yeah, we, we tend to think of the Christian life as, as the be, the know, and the do. Okay. It's a simple way to think of uh, those, those distinct aspects of our mm-hmm. walk with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and when you overemphasize the do to the point that what you know yeah. is less important or downplayed or yeah. who you are in Christ is irrelevant as mm. long as you're obeying. Yeah. You fundamentally change the understanding of the gospel. So we would say that this is an error that other camps can fall into as well along the knowledge lines or along the identity lines, yeah. right? You can place too much emphasis on any one of these. But for this critique of obedience-based discipleship, we're saying that they they get it wrong on the do. They overemphasize the do. That's right. Okay. So I think I think we would probably summarize our, our main beef, our main critique with obedience-based discipleship uh, in three words. Obedience before belief. That's right. Right. That's what they want in their evangelistic efforts. That's what they're aiming for. That's what they're teaching. That's what they want practitioners of their methodology to do. They want to aim for obedience before belief. Yeah. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah. They they might use a phrase, something like disciple to conversion, mm, okay. uh, which we'll get back to in a little bit here. Uh, but let me just break it down practically. What does this look like? Okay. Uh, typically, it would begin with a T4T, training for trainers, or a discovery Bible study. 
uh, where you have this chronological Bible study with non-Christians. Okay. And Which the, is not bad. Not a bad thing at all. And the okay. emphasis, however, is on identifying, specifically identifying the commands of Christ. So kind of like John Piper's uh, 50 Things That Christ Commands for the World, or yep. whatever that book is. And you walk through the Gospels and you find these commands uh, of Christ, and the the push is to immediately get these non-Christians to obey, to put these commands to practice in their own life. And they use weekly accountability questions with the group to make sure this obedience is happening. Okay. So, Russell, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I hear you saying that these missionaries or the whatever they want to call themselves, they're, they're going in with a bunch of non-Christians mm-hmm. and reading the Bible. Yeah. And they're reading it carefully. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to find all the things that Christ commands for them. All good stuff. And then they want to even obey those commands and be held accountable to obeying those commands. Yes. Okay. Help me understand what's bad about that. Well, uh, let me use the words of one of these teachers to show you what's wrong here. Okay. Uh, Jerry Trousdale uh, writes, Disciple makers are prepared to invest weeks, months, and maybe even years developing genuine friendships facilitating someone's discovery of and obedience to God's story from creation to Christ, and eventually giving Jesus his life allegiance. Now, I noticed you had a little emphasis there on that last line. This is where we see obedience uh, being before belief, or what we might say discipleship to conversion. The emphasis here is, first and foremost, non-Christians outwardly doing the stuff that Christians are commanded to do, somehow leading them to conversion, mm. which is a work of the Holy Spirit. So so doing obedience, according to Jerry Trousdale, precedes conversion. That's right. And and seems like it necessarily will lead to conversion. That's the that's the implication. Now mm. remember that. We're gonna we're gonna keep coming back to this. Okay, Does okay. obedience, this outward command, excuse me, this outward conformity to God's law, to Christ's mm-hmm. commands, does that lead to conversion and does it precede conversion? conversion. And, and and should we aim to have that be the thing that we focused on prior to conversion? That's right. Well, okay. and, and obedience-based discipleship would say, yes, they heavily critique what they often call knowledge-based discipleship. Any, okay. any guesses on what that might look like? Obedience-based discipleship is doing... Okay, then it would be just about knowing everything. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Teaching, and we're guilty of that. Teaching and preaching, imparting theological knowledge, but never actually doing anything with it in our lives. And you've probably seen that before, right? Way too much. Okay. Yeah, we would we would maybe call that easy believism. Yeah. You, know, you show up and you learn about God, and uh, as long as you check those boxes of things you believe intellectually, you call yeah. yourself a Christian, you're good to go. You know, I'm, I'm walking through the Gospel of John with our church right now, and as I've preached through these first uh, five chapters, you see that there's this category of knowing but not knowing, That's right. believing but not believing, of honoring but not honoring. And so this is a kind of of discipleship that's grounded in knowing things uh, intellectually, but not actually believing them in your heart. Yeah. So what we're painting here as a picture is really two ditches. Okay. Right. So you got to, the road is what you want to stay on with your car. Right. The ditch on the right is so overemphasizing obedience that you have pitted pitted it against knowledge, Okay. uh, which is unbiblical. I mean, Paul prays uh, that the Christians in Ephesus would grow in their not, is it Ephesus? grow in their knowledge of the wisdom of God. Yeah. Uh, and then the other ditch is so emphasizing knowledge that you don't actually get people to apply that knowledge mm-hmm. in their lives. They yeah. don't obey 
the commands of Christ. Yeah. We want to stay out of both of those ditches. Okay. Now, the problem is that proponents of obedience-based discipleship, as important as obedience is, right. we want to make that really clear, yeah. obedience is... Non-negotiable. Non-neg- it's the fruit of the Christian life. Right. If, if you're regenerate, if you have been saved, yeah. you will see obedience in your life. Okay, got that. As important as that is, mm-hmm. obedience-based discipleship proponents don't seem to realize they're in one of those ditches. Mm. They've they've swerved the wheel too hard in the in the other direction, and they have overcorrected from what we would say is a genuine error, the other ditch. Yeah. Uh, and so we but but now you're you're saying it's a genuine error, but we would say that some of their accusations about people who who they would say only do knowledge based discipleship, we would say we're not really so sure we agree with that's their true. assessment. Well, and and to make this a little bit even more nitpicky, they would blame things like preaching, yeah, as the as the communication of the word of God. They would say preaching is an ineffective Western form of communicating the gospel, and it just leads inevitably to this knowledge emphasis. And we would say, actually, uh, (laughs) it's your attractional churches that have led to this Christian nominalism, which we'll talk about more in this episode Oh, white Western Paul just out there. (laughs) If if we're critiquing this kind of obedience, uh, maybe a, a useful question would be, what kind of obedience is it that Jesus demands from us? What What kind of obedience does he want from true followers? That's an important question. Because you can have obedience, and then you can have obedience. Mm, with, uh, with air quotes. With air quotes, okay. yeah. So true Christian obedience flows from a heart that is regenerate. Mm-hmm. It flows from a heart that uh, has had its affections changed, that has been renewed by the Spirit of God, uh, that, has a f- that has a desire to please God as, as its ultimate impetus for yeah. that obedience. Yeah. Uh, it's a... You might call it an obedience of faith, mm. as Paul does in Romans uh, chapter 1. That That is the purpose of his letter. He wants to motivate the Romans to the obedience of faith. Uh, it sounds, again, just like First John, right? Like, I'm writing to you so that you will obey in light of what you already know to be true. That's right. Yeah. Now, there's another kind of obedience that, and this is important, from the outside, it can often be really hard to tell these mm. two apart. And that other kind of obedience just flows from anything else, uh, it, whether it's just a desire to uh, impress, to fit in with mm-hmm. the people around you, to a desire for for moral improvement of one's own life and situation. Yeah. Uh, if it's not from faith, Scripture tells us that's not the obedience Jesus asks, and it is ultimately sin. Yeah, it's it's counterfeit obedience. It's it's like the the diet mountain lightning of obedience yeah. <laughs> instead of diet mountain dew. Yeah, and so so genuine obedience, this obedience of faith. And I think it's important to use that phrase because it's a biblical phrase. Okay. Uh and it and it's one that distinguishes the different types of obedience. It's not just an outward obedience only. It's one that originates in a regenerate heart. Uh, so I think this phrase that Paul uses in Scripture, obedience of faith, is really key for us to understand this concept. you want to read that verse for us? Yeah. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is addressing the nature of his own ministry and what he's been called to do as a preacher of the gospel. And he says this, "...through whom," that's Christ Jesus our Lord, "...we have received grace and apostleship to bring about." So this is the reason why God commissioned Paul to be an apostle to bring about the obedience, okay, of faith Mm. for the sake of his name. So not an obedience rooted in uh, moral uh, stringency, not an obedience rooted in a desire for improved financial situation in life, 
an obedience that's rooted in faith that Christ is Lord and King. Mm, amen. Yeah. Not not even an obedience that promises to improve the the sins in your life. Sure. Uh, the, many of these uh, proponents of multiplying movements will lead in these Bible studies with the idea that the world is broken, it's full of sadness and suffering and misery, uh, and that this obedience is your way out of that, mm, yeah. uh, which is in some ways true, yeah. and yet is a form of putting the gift of our salvation above the giver. Right. Yeah. And so it's very important that we recognize that, yes, obedience is the evidence of our regeneration, but unless it's coming from that heart, the, the converted Christian heart, it is not obedience of faith. Okay. So let's keep going. Uh, obedience-based discipleship teaches that non-Christians can become disciples, mm. and they can do this by obeying the teachings of Jesus. Um, how does Jesus tend to speak of the uh, the non-Christian Pharisees and religious leaders and their outward obedience to the law? Yeah, he says it's it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> it's just the worst. They, I mean, he says they're whitewashed tombs, right. they're pits of vipers. He says, listen, unless your righteousness, you know, exceeds the righteousness of those guys, you're not going to make it. The the image of the whitewashed tomb is perfect for this discussion. Oh yeah. Because how does it look from the outside? Yeah, it looks Outwardly, great. Outwardly, it is pure. Mm -hmm. It is clean. What you can't see, mm -hmm. the part that is not known to you when you look at the outside, is the death inside. And yeah. so this is a perfect, perfect image of the obedience that's not from faith. Yeah, we would, we would actually say that it's, an impo it's impossible to be a true disciple of Christ uh, without conversion, mm -hmm. right? So what, what they're aiming for is something that's not even possible. And we would get that from places like Romans 8, 7. That's right? right. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, and that's the carnal mind, the unregenerate mind, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, what's really fascinating here, Russell, is that Paul's logic, God's logic, says that you cannot submit to God's law. Not that it's unlikely. Right. Not, you yeah, can't. Not that it's improbable, but but obviously you can do a whole bunch of things that are codified in God's right. law. You can obey the rules and the regulations, but that's not what Paul's addressing. That's right. He's addressing the heart. Can you have obedience from the heart? And his answer is no, because your heart is unregenerate. That's right. Yeah. The unregenerate person cannot even understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 the natural person, again, that's the unregenerate man, does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So even if you can get him to, uh, this person that you're trying to make a disciple, to adjust his behavior accordingly so that he, you know, paint by numbers obedience, it's all external. He that's doesn't right. understand what's happening. He has no Holy Spirit living in him that makes the connection to God's Spirit and proves it to be genuine. And therefore, he's not a disciple. Yeah, not a true disciple. So part <clears throat> of the reason that there's this disconnect between what we're saying and what obedience-based discipleship teachers say is because they conflate faith and obedience. Okay. Uh, a quote that will help you see this from David Watson, uh, faith is defined as the continuous act of choosing to be obedient to God's word, regardless of what it may cost even our lives. Help me understand why that's wrong. Well, it's exactly backwards. Okay. So uh, our faith is not determined by our, our obedience. Mm. So faith is not defined by how we obey. Our obedience is determined 
by, by our, our faith. faith. And it is the evidence of our faith. It's a fundamental confusion of those two and, and literally flipping the cause and effect around. Mm. So the Bible teaches that being a Christian makes you obedient, not that being obedient makes you a Christian is Bro, another way to say that. Stop. Pause. I need you to say that one more time. I need whoever's listening or watching this to like go back and play this yes. at like half speed. Pause, get a piece of paper. Yes, write this down. Tattoo it on your ribs. Go to the blackboard like Bart Simpson and just write it over and over and over again. Yeah, the Bible teaches that being a Christian makes you obedient, not that obedience makes you a Christian. If you don't get anything else from our episode today, I hope that that's what you take with that's you. That's my one-sentence argument against obedience-based discipleship. Yeah, that's really good. However, okay, uh, proponents of this would say, no, 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 no. Go look at the Gospels. Oh, yeah. Go look at how Jesus talks in Matthew 28. Go look at how the words of Jesus in the Gospels seem to convey this slowly getting the disciples to obey until ultimately in Acts, mm. they receive the Holy Spirit. Now they're Christians. Okay, so we have a number of critiques. <laughs> we have a number of, of responses to that. Probably more than we can fit in this episode. Yeah. Let's, Let's hit yeah. the big ones. Yeah, they're, they're doing uh, what many progressive liberal Christians do, red letter Christianing. You know, they're, they're pitting the words of Jesus against the rest of the words of Jesus in the Bible, in the New Testament, yeah. which he also inspired to be written kind of pitting Jesus against Paul. Mm-hmm. And and listen, brother, if all we had in our Bibles, if the only word we had from Jesus about how we're supposed to carry out our mission was Matthew 28, 28, then we could kind of be sympathetic. But we know that one of the... And, and pause, why is that? Because Matthew 28 because says, it's, uh, go and go make disciples. disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded That's you. Right. So discipleship, obedience, like it's right there. Yep. However, but, however, one of the main rules of not committing heresy is making sure that as we read our Bibles, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so if we want to understand what Jesus means when he says, make disciples and teach them to be obedient, we need the rest of the Bible to inform us, including the book of Acts. Jesus's disciples heard those words, understood them exactly how they were supposed to be understood, and then went and applied them in practice in the book of Acts and beyond. Yes. And what we see with that is a preaching of the gospel, a calling to understanding, to to knowledge, to faith, which would then result in true obedience. All right, so what would we say mm. to a guy like Ray Moran, okay. uh, who we've mentioned on this podcast before, we, uh, we reference his book that I read, he teaches this, and he okay. says, we find Jesus discipling people to conversion rather than evangelizing them. And what he's referencing there is the Gospels. Okay, uh, He says, you know, basically you've got Jesus instructing his 12 disciples to obey various commands for years before they embraced his identity as the Christ and received the Holy Spirit. Why would we not do the same thing with new, yeah. with non-Christians in our evangelism? Yeah, so I think we would have three responses to that. Okay. okay. The first one is that it, it, you just just go to the book of Mark. Just just open the book of Mark and see the, what's the very first thing that Jesus does as he begins his public ministry. He says, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Ah, so he begins by preaching and calling people to the truth. So that's that would be our first argument. Yes. And that we would. We, it's not just Mark. It's yeah. everywhere that Jesus goes, that's what he's doing all the time. He's saying, I don't just want you to obey, I want you to believe. Okay, so that's argument number one. Okay. Uh, pushback argument number two, the you are here argument. Yeah, 
Yeah. So uh, we've said this before on this podcast. It's worth repeating. Yeah. When you go into a mall, the first thing you do is you walk up to the big kiosk and you look on the map for that little red star that says you are here. Yes. Why do you do that? Uh, because, Sean, you're never going to find Hot Topic. <laughs> uh, or Spencer's. Or Spencer's until you find that you are here because that, that's your reference point. Yeah. Uh, it's the same anytime we read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, some ignorance on the disciples' part as to who Christ was is absolutely understandable because yeah. they are on the other side of enormous works of redemptive history yeah. that are unique and can't be repeated, like the crucifixion, the ascension, Pentecost, yeah. these things that we stand completely on the other side yeah. of. And so to compare ourselves to the disciples is one thing. To to read what they did with Jesus and think that has to apply one-to-one to us yeah. is to fundamentally not understand how you should read your Bible. Yeah, so Jesus, Jesus' calling and discipling of the disciples is not necessarily the exact template that we need to employ as we make disciples. There's more in Scripture after the cross, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, that that fills out what yeah. that should look like when we're not the Messiah trying to make disciples and reveal ourselves to the world. That's right. Okay. And, and that's why we have the book of Acts, Which would example. be our third pushback. Yeah. Yeah. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah, just read the book of Acts. <laughs> no, no, but Acts, the book of Acts shows us what we're supposed to do, it fills out Jesus's ministry. It shows us, as I as I said a little earlier, how Jesus's disciples understood his commands. And that's right. so on the other side of the cross. That's right. And it's not just the book of Acts. It's it's Romans and Philippians and everything else that tells us what it looks like to to make disciples in a way that's rooted in the gospel. That's right. Yeah. Um, one more little thing that we ought to say about uh, when we mentioned this early on is that within obedience based discipleship. Uh, is a very strong critique of formal preaching and teaching. Now, this mm. is this is seen as the source of the kind of nominal Christian culture that claims Christ is Lord, does nothing about it. Just, just too too many sermons, too many Bible studies, too much Sunday school. It's all too Western. That's right. How would you respond to that? Uh, I I think number one is. Again, we're pitting obedience and knowledge against each other. Right. That's the false dichotomy we've been dealing with this whole time. Uh, number two, uh, again, look at how the apostles and the disciples of Christ in the book of Acts carried out the mm-hmm. ministry, the charge that God gave them. Yeah, Acts is almost entirely sermons. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before on yeah. this this very podcast. Yeah, uh, we, and we so, see in, in, in Paul's letters and in, in the, all the letters in the New Testament— it's it's teaching. Yes. It's teaching, teaching, teaching. It's like uh, Ephesians, right? You're new to the faith. I'm going to spend the first half of this letter teaching you the truths of the gospel, and then I'm going to spend the second half of this letter that's right. telling you how you can obediently apply these truths to your life. Yes, that's right. And that emphasis on teaching just goes to hammer our point that knowledge is inseparable from obedience. Right. If this wasn't true, if the Bible emphasized do more than know, you wouldn't have so many warnings in the New Testament against false teachers. Yeah. False teachers are spreading bad doctrine. Mm-hmm. And the implication there is that bad doctrine has significant spiritual consequences. Yeah. It will lead to bad practice and and a lack of obedience. That's right. Yeah. So recall in the beginning of this episode, one of the reasons we said obedience-based discipleship is so appealing to a lot of Christians uh, is a pushback against nominalism. Yeah. And nominalism just means in name only. Yeah, that's right. And you can use this illustration to, to understand it. You can have two people 
who outwardly behave in an identical way that appears to be obedient to Jesus, but one can be truly regenerate, obeying out of faith, and the other can be spiritually dead inside. And so we would say that that second person is a nominal Christian. Yeah, and and we would say that the evangelical world, unfortunately, is full of that. And we don't like it. And so we would agree with uh, this camp that, hey, this is a problem. Yeah. Now, here's the difference. Okay. When we see that problem, we say the solution is Mm. look for real heart change. Yeah. And and, and preach the gospel and call for real heart change. That's right. Preach the gospel, look for heart change, call for heart change. And all all that hinges on the question, do you really believe? Yeah. Show me that you really believe. How do you know you really believe? Yeah. It's all rooted in the heart. The obedience-based discipleship camp looks at that situation. And rather than saying, we need heart change, they look at it and say, we need radical outward life change. Mm. We need more conformity outwardly, more obedience outwardly, mm-hmm. and that's what will make you real, real real Christians. And doesn't this draw your mind back to the difference between the first and the second Great Awakening? That's exactly right? where I was going. The, the first was typified by a call to repent and believe, and the Spirit was going to have to give the change of heart in order to bring about obedience. And the second was typified by... Yeah, just come on up and do all the right things and say all the right stuff, and we'll figure everything else out later. That's right. So, yeah. so the, the question, do you really believe, is something that is absolutely ignored in these obedience-based discipleship curriculums and, and circles. Um, Should we do the Garrison quote? Yeah, let's quote, uh, let's quote Garrison. Yeah. So David Garrison writes, Ultimately, God alone knows the heart of an individual. And we must resist the temptation to usurp this divine prerogative. What Ooh. he what he's saying there, the context of what he's saying is, uh, don't question whether someone's saved or not. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, it's not up to you. That's not your job. Your job is to just get them to profess Christ as Lord and then obey outwardly. Mm. So we have a problem with that. Uh, yeah, um, just we because do. we think Scripture it would oppose that flatly <laughs> in a whole bunch of ways. Yeah. Let's so, give just a couple examples. Yeah. First Corinthians five, 11 through 13. Paul says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one Four. what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside purge the evil person from among you. And there, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Right. To purge the evil person from among you in this context, in the church, would be to obey the commands of Jesus in Matthew 18. Yep. Church discipline. To draw a very clear, bright line around those who claim to be Christians and show no evidence of that in their lives, Mm -hmm. and those who claim to be Christians, and we have good reason to think they are regenerate. Their hearts have Mm -hmm. been changed. So, so the main reason why we're reading the scripture is because we are called to judge. That's right. We don't, we don't uh, deign to believe that we have X-rays vision and that we can see perfectly, that we can look inside people's, you know, souls and see if they're truly regenerate. But Jesus said, "You'll know a tree by its fruits," and we think the church has been called to assess the fruits of people who profess to follow Jesus. Amen. Okay. Next, Acts twenty twenty nine through thirty one. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Yeah, it's scriptures full of these warnings that wolves will come into the church. And how do they get in? Well, well they dress like sheep. Dress like sheep, which mm. means that these false teachers 
will proclaim themselves to be Christians. Yeah. And it's our job to discern based on what they teach, what they say, how they live, whether or not that's true. That's why he says, therefore, be alert. Yep. So the point that we're making here is that if we want to deal with the nominalism that we see in the evangelical world, we have to ask the question, do you really believe? Yeah. Uh, practically, you deal with this as a pastor all the time. Yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's just constantly trying to, uh, to the best of my ability as a pastor, to the best of our ability uh, as elders, and to the best of our, our ability as a church, discern the spiritual fruit of those who profess to belong to Jesus. And so what that means is we evaluate their life and doctrine. We don't claim to be able to do so perfectly, but we try to do so consistently. And, and also, let me just go on a little mini rant here. This is not, nominalism is not an issue of Western evangelicalism. Nominalism was an issue in the church at Corinth, right? <laughs> in the same way that preaching is not Western, it was, in, you know, it was invented you know, in the ancient Near East. Uh, nominalism is not the product of consumer capitalistic Christianity. Nominalism is something that pops up anywhere where the gospel goes and true conversion is found. There's always, it's always going to be paired with nominalism. Now, there are certain ways that we can conduct our ministries that can lead to more or less nominalism. Mm -hmm. That's true. But listen, there's nominalism in Africa. There's nominalism in Asia. And I mean, in the persecuted church in China, there is extensive nominalism. In South America, I saw it myself. In the jungles of Peru, there's nominalism. So, yeah, let's, let's be careful about uh, the way we talk about that. Well, and I want to latch on to something you just said. Okay. There are ways we can conduct our ministry that can encourage or discourage nominalism. Yeah. I think the point that I want to end with here is that obedience-based discipleship really sets the church up for reproducing nominalism in a very effective way. And isn't the great irony that they're producing more of that which they're trying to correct? That's right. Yeah, follow Christ's commands outwardly, conform to what he says, uh, and never focus on the do you really believe question. Never do the heart surgery and the self-examination yeah. to see if affections are changing, to see if the truths of the gospel are rooting themselves in the heart. Well, that's a recipe for legalism. Now, Russell, you before we got started with this episode, you said you had a pretty important qualification to make at the end of the episode before we finished about the way that some of what we're saying might be perceived by some people in, in, in these camps. Yeah, you may have been listening to this whole episode and just grinding your teeth. I do obedience-based discipleship. We don't believe any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, we did an episode on that exact reaction yeah. a couple episodes back. Uh, did we get church planning movements wrong? Right. Go listen to that. Uh, yeah. The same thing applies here. Uh, and what I mean is, so you can go out and you can read about obedience-based discipleship from somebody like Steve Addison. Okay. And when he talks about it, he is very careful to avoid some of the errors that we've described yeah. uh, and speaks of the obedience of faith as being something that comes after conversion. Something we'd agree with. Great. Praise God. Uh, unfortunately, there are far more people within these movements, including the people who actually originated this term and yeah. the very concept, who teach stuff that is fundamentally different from what Steve Addison believes and what we believe. Sure. And, and that's what we're describing. So we feel that we have a responsibility to represent this stuff from the point of view of the authors who created yeah. it, the, the majority of the teachers out there who are teaching it, yeah. uh, not somebody who's kind of cleaned it up theologically and kept yeah. the same label because that's misleading. I'm thankful that Steve Addison is teaching something 
different, yeah. but I wish he wouldn't call it obedience-based discipleship because he's contradicting the very people who coined this term and not acknowledging that in his writing. Yeah, this just reminds me of when I, I talk to a, a, a someone who prof- who's a professing Roman Catholic who says, no, I believe in justification by grace alone, through faith alone. And stop calling yourself a Roman Catholic. <laughs> exactly. You, 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 that has been anathematized by yes. your church. And and so I'm happy that you don't believe that gospel, but yeah. there's a disconnect. And you should know that you're on the periphery, yeah. okay? And so the same thing is true with Steve Addison and church planning movements. That's a great illustration. I mean, why does that Roman Catholic keep calling themselves that? It's just cultural. Yeah, It's the same thing in this culture. These multiplying movement groups have a lot of shared terms, and they don't always mean the same thing when they use them. Yeah. Uh, You know, I know you said we were going to wrap it up, but like any good preacher, we're going to say that five times before we wrap it up. That's right. Final conclusion. Yeah, the final conclusion. You have a really great quote here from Jay Gresham Machen that I would... I want I want you to read Let's before we wrap it up. Yeah. Take it away, brother. According to modern liberalism, faith is essentially the same as making Christ master in one's life. At least it is by making Christ master in the life that the welfare of man is sought. But that simply means that salvation is thought to be obtained by our own obedience to the commands of Christ. Mm. Such teaching is just a sublimated form of legalism. Not the sacrifice of Christ on this view, but our own obedience to God's law. It is the ground of hope. In this way, the whole achievement of the Reformation has been given up, and there has been a return to the religion of the Middle Ages. Mm. Well, let's not do that. Let's leave it at that. Signing off for the Defending Confirmed podcast, I'm Sean. I'm Russell. Thank you for listening. Yeah.